<laughs> Need some truth serum. <laughs> I've never been recorded before. <laughs> Don't even think about it. I'm gonna put you under a good alias. Okay, good. I want my voice to sound like this. <laughs> I've never told this story to anybody before. <laughs> this is my first night in Toronto. <laughs> I used to be a caterpillar. <laughs> so where in the world has Lee Deckel been this uh, last year? Lee has been in Halifax, New York, and Israel, and Jordan in the last year. The circuit? Did the big old circuit. <laughs> you know, classic, usual circuit. Everyone does that, right? In that order. Yeah. Are you still in school in the Maritimes? <laughs> yeah, I am slowly, slowly finishing my undergrad because I decided to do a bunch of other stuff in the middle. Um, I'm just finishing my my thesis for my undergrad, so yeah. What's your thesis about? It's about corsets. <laughs> body modification. That's cool. Uh, yeah. I'm kind of arguing against the body modification point, though. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that they're not as bad as people uh, people said they were, and that the doctors who have pointed out all the torturous aspects of corsetry had other motivations. Oh, Jesus, it was a conspiracy? All a conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> they were looking forward I'm to a, a future. I'm actually pitching it to, uh, to ancient aliens, right? <laughs> they, they had uh, projected into the future and they had seen that Von Tease chick and they were like, this must be stopped. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The waists were too small. <laughs> Today I'd like to share with you the very first corset I ever bought. It was a cheap one off of eBay. Is that really what's going down, though? It was because they say you know you look at um, uh, those cultures in it was it the Amazon or something with the the rings on the necks and stuff, mm -hmm. and how um, it looks way creepier than it is because you actually take the jewelry off. It's just kind of they're deforming their um, what is this their clavicle okay, bones and yeah, yeah. just pressing it down, and um, you're not in discomfort because you kind of grow into it. Yeah, I think you could say similar things about the corset. I mean, it's like women wore it for 400 years. So first off, to say that they had like no agency the mat in the mm -hmm. matter is pretty anti-feminist in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. But then also, yeah, like a lot of the so a lot of the backlash came out in the Victorian period, and I th I think if you look at like sort of ads or, or things that are m more honest depictions than like the exaggerations that you see it, it, it turns out that a lot of it was like trickery like illusions so mm. you know a lot of the fat was pushed like front to back instead of in oh, in sidewards yeah. and then there there were things like the bustle and the crinoline so everything was meant to make you look like an hourglass so when you see pictures of women that look like a crazy hourglass figure a lot of it's like you know the help of of all the other it's a magic trick yeah it's all a magic trick yeah because they would have that big caboose part in the back what's, oh yeah what's that called the, the bustle the bustle yeah you're not wearing a bustle <laughs> ride a horse with it i've actually heard it's funny i in my research i came upon an article on crinolines and it's kind of people talk about crinolines as being this awful thing that women had to wear and they carry around with them they couldn't really move but uh, there's like a theory that it might have just been really good for personal space. <laughs> ah. It keeps like a few feet of distance between you and So you the... can't get creeped up on? Yeah, exactly. For people who despise having their space invaded, traveling on a crowded subway is the equivalent to torture. Artist Kathleen McDermott has come to the rescue of women who need a bubble of sorts. She's designed a smart garment, specifically a dress, that will expand outwards when it detects someone or something is invading the wearer's personal space. 
Jesus. Isn't that kind of, I wish I had a crinoline. <laughs> you can bring it back. Yeah, I'll bring it back. There are no rules. No rules. Yeah, fashion's lawless now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked that article that you posted the other day with the... Um, oh, Fran Lebowitz. <laughs> She's amazing. <laughs> Usually I think worst fashions are old ones. You know, I mean, I really can't stand to see things come back and back and back and back. You know, I mean, probably by the time I was 30, um, I probably had seen platform shoes come back already three times. You know, especially I'm always shocked that something that was bad to begin with keeps coming back. You know, it's as if, you know, every four years Richard Nixon's a president again. You know? like we could all have so, so much gall and, and <laughs> confidence in our opinions. It's amazing when you read just the, the dictation of, but somebody's voice comes through. Oh, yeah, <laughs> totally. And the funny thing is I was like, I, I hadn't. I'd, I'd heard of her a long time ago. I've never actually seen her speak, and, and she is exactly like she sounds in that article. You know, it's everything is she's the one that she's the first one that did everything. You know, she's the only one that knows New York, and everybody else is an idiot. <laughs> and you see the pictures of her, and you go, She looks like a Jewish lady from New York. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, she's, she's, she's doing this like kind of uh, soapbox story about how she's a, a style icon or whatever but it's just like oh, a blazer yeah and a white shirt. <laughs> totally and that's all she's been wearing since like the 60s which is kind of amazing in itself like who can carry off a uniform for 40 years i don't know and that's consistent with the the kind of vibe of the article right it was more yeah. not about um originality so much as that people need to have um their own kind of style and voice. Yeah, they just, I just, I feel like she was um, running off against how people shouldn't wear yoga pants. But then she was saying like, wouldn't it be great if drag queens wore yoga pants? Like, <laughs> I think, I, I think she just wants people to have like a point of view or say, to be saying something instead of just like gi giving up, which is what, in her opinion, most people have done. There's, you know, I would like to see something new. Of, co of course, as I said before, you know, it's not an endless cavalcade of options, you know, clothes, because clothes you have to wear, you know, so that it doesn't, you know, lead to endless self-expression. And when it does, I don't want to see these clothes. <laughs> and be mindful about it. You yeah. Know? Another good point that she made, too, was about how she's kind of anti-fashion trend, mm -hmm. which I am, too. Yeah, um, I feel like it's although it's like really aesthetically interesting to see people um, be chameleons. And uh, if you're dating somebody who's kind of changing their look all the time, it can add like a lot of freshness because you're just <laughs> like, nice. Lee Douglas got short hair now. <laughs> and now it's it's black hair and now it's red hair. It's everything's, you know, uh, surprising. Um, but I think like for my personal uh, like I always grew up insecure about being a poor kid at um, a kind of middle class elementary school. Mm -hmm. And so I always had like this from the start, I'd, I'd always been really self-conscious about being neutral. I yeah. just wanted to look as neutral as possible <laughs> so that nobody could really um, pigeonhole me into any particular thing. Mm -hmm. I felt like it, I, I really hated those situations where I would go to a place and someone would be able to make guesses about what your background is oh yeah that always that's me. yeah they always it always bugs me like i had spiky hair for a while and people would you know i went to like a one of those dinner theater things where the stand-up uh comedic actors kind of improv with the audience <laughs> and they were this is the first thing they could point out right it's like oh spiky hair blah 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 oh, God. cheesy jokes about yeah. electricity and stuff like that and you go Okay, getting rid of that. 
I love that you had that reaction, whereas like a lot of people would also have the opposite reaction. That it would almost like reinforce their, their yeah, need color to continue it, and assert grow themselves. It out yeah. <laughs> it's I just want my ideas to be in the forefront. Yeah. You know? I think that's like the idea. But I don't know. I see I have trouble with this because a friend of mine you know, she recently got rid of her entire wardrobe except for like a few things, like a pair of black pants and a black sweater. It's because she decided to, you know, become a painter and she mm-hmm. decided she wanted a uniform <laughs> and she was like, I don't, I just don't want to make decisions. And she was like, you know, I heard Albert Einstein had a uniform, the same five shirts, the same five pants. But then you look at pictures of Albert Einstein and he's like totally flamboyant. Like he loves it. He, I don't think there's anybody. He was a womanizer. Not oh, everybody knows that. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I don't think there's anybody who doesn't think about their style when they get up in the morning. I, I But I agree with your point that like maybe you don't want other people to think about your style, but I think everybody thinks about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's my version of self-consciousness. Yeah. Is uh, I, I kind of have an editing thing that's going on where uh, I want to make subtle signals, but I also don't want to come off as a tryhard. so what's or, the what's the signal with your your badge that's that's happening oh this that uh this is something i've had for a while i wore it to the uh prism thing last night okay you and i was des- happy with my outfit so i just a podcast you should describe it yeah it's a it's a little <laughs> um ribbon that i got from jrg that says uh no tears and i thought that it was a kind of a personal comment on the fact that I'm a bit robotic when it comes to my emotions, but it turns out that she must have a box of them or something because I've met other ex-boyfriends of hers that have oh, like no. the same thing. That's so. total, that's some like real cinematic fodder right there. I tell you, my life, the, the ins and outs just keep coming. How did you um, feel the first time you saw another No Tears badge? Oh, I was very disappointed and I considered never wearing it again, but then I was like, nah, I like it, whatever. People do, people do things. <laughs> People will fuck you over sometimes. Don't worry about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I like. Uh, I was happy with my outfit last night, and then uh, I didn't have a lot of time when I got home from work today, so I just wore the same thing that I wore last night. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> my gift to Glad you. Glad to be on the receiving end of it. <laughs> I know, I always feel like when I find, every time I find like a good outfit, I'm like, okay, you just wear this these five things for the next month but then one day i'll put it on and it'll look terrible and then that's it it's like i have to wear find something else the spell's broken it's i don't believe that my body shifts that much but it must be some kind of chemistry between my like self-perception and the zeitgeist of what's going on around me like sometimes things that you look good a week ago just really like don't look good the next time you put it on yeah totally and and sometimes um you know, the fashion is, is really an extension of, of what's what's going on in the, the headspace of the people, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's it's funny to see, um, to go into your 30s like I am and to watch Annie Hall and you start to understand why people are wearing trench coats and stuff. It's like your <laughs> trench coat years. Oh, man. It suits the conversations that people have when yeah. they're in their 30s. You want to <laughs> stroll around in the in the, the hazy moonlight, or stroll around on your the, the wet streets. Your arms crossed and your opinions. In yeah, the and talk about <laughs> how you're not fulfilled and how you know your career's not going where you wanted it to. Great, I'm 
Well, I don't know what I did wrong. I mean, I can't believe this. Somewhere she cooled off to me. Is, is, is it something that I did? Never something you do. That's how people are. Love fades. Love fades. God, that's a depressing thought. I, I, I have to ask you a question. Don't go any further. With your wife in bed, does she need some kind of artificial stimulation like, like marijuana? We use a large vibrating egg. Yeah, I guess like a trench coat's a happy medium where you can like identify with the poor man, but still maybe feel like you're a little bit business. Like, yeah. yeah, and it totally doesn't work on, on a junior. There's no. no junior trench coat. I, you I, gotta have like three juniors piled one on top of the other to wear the trench coat. <laughs> you just look like the Asian kid from The Goonies if you try to wear a trench uh, coat. You yeah, look yeah. like a... It's a good place for hiding gadgets, the deep pockets. Yeah, or what about uh, in, didn't the guy in the Breakfast Club, he had a, it felt like he had a trench oh, coat. Oh, that's true too. But you know, Breakfast Club is one of those 80s things where everybody in the movie is supposed to be in high school, but they're all 25. Yeah, that's true. So when you actually see a high school kid, you go, huh, that is young. I found out recently that Linda Cardellini was in her like mid-20s when she filmed Freaks and Geeks, which... I don't know. For some reason, that that show, I, I couldn't believe it when I heard that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just seemed like the epitome of high school. Everyone was in high school. It's all about the real high school. And then to find out one of the actors was... A mole. A, a, yeah, total mole. A never been kissed situation. Yeah, I mean, you run into some that sometimes in your real life, right? Where you see somebody and they could totally pass as, as being in grade 12. Yeah. Or, or whatever like the guys that don't need to shave until they're into you know their late 30s mm-hmm. um and those are the perfect people for like the 21 jump street scenario right like the cops could totally insert that person and and say you know go sell kids some weed and then arrest them for buying the weed <laughs> it's gonna be your job you were are born you, are you telling me that? that there are more moles around me than i than i think oh fuck you would never know <laughs> I gotta watch out. Maybe pe- I'll maybe I'll start baiting them, mm-hmm. just to find out. <laughs> <what's funny. laughs> I wonder, um, does anybody uh, spend uh, the people in fashion circles? Do they spend any time thinking about young people, or do they always just assume that young people are followers and that they'll adopt whatever the older people are doing? And I, they're happiest doing that. No, I think that it's the problem is they think too much about the young people. The older people are the ones with the money, but mm-hmm. the younger people are the ones that follow the trends and so now with like companies like H&M and Zara what happens is the fashion people focus on the trends the designers focus on trends they'll like send something out to the world Zara will put almost a replica of it in a store like two weeks later for you know a tenth of the price and that's what they'll buy but then there's the you know the women like uh, Eileen Fisher <laughs> who mm-hmm. I worked for and I found out figured out kind of the key to her success is to cater to the people that have money directly who aren't going to bother going to Zara or H&M because that seems like a nightmare to mm-hmm. them, I think. And uh, yeah, I think it like, the money is in children and old people. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's where you should be gearing your efforts to if you want to succeed in fashion. Well, it's kind of it's there's a Walmart effect that happens, right? They keep on trying to encourage really rapid um, style movements that change every you know six months. And they sell disposable fabrics where you wash it once. There was several things that I had gotten for Christmas from like my little sister Mm -hmm. from H&M. And literally, I washed it (laughs) once and the the material like shrank around the buttons. You know how you get that kind of warped hourglass puckering thing around the buttons? You're just like, "Mm, that's the end of that. (laughs) I actually didn't know that that was a problem. I don't buy enough shirts from H&M. Oh, it sucks. 
I'm going to tell you. the buttons. That's awful. But yeah, they, they totally don't mind because you're supposed to wear it once. Yeah. You throw it out and it was cheap and you get another one. Yeah, I think that's what that's what people are going for. And you get so caught up in it too. Like I was, I was living in New York for I think like eight months total over, over a couple of years. But it's just like as soon as you're there because you're just faced with it so often, like you just you know you walk down any main street and you see like a million stores whose windows are always changing and it's like a lot of what people are talking about is if you wear something that's interesting people are going to comment on it so you get this like sort of fuel like oh i have to, to wear something else every single day and people oh, are going to keep want that com- positive you, feedback yeah it's like a it's literally <laughs> like a positive feedback loop and then i like honestly just like walked out with a bunch of debt i was like why that was not worth it <laughs> like, it's like a yeah you get in this like haze where you like have to eat out and you have to buy stuff at H&M because you need to keep looking different and mm-hmm. some you'll get discovered at some point of course in the process of all of this and it's like, is there um, an upside to I guess it's good for the economy you know you have you keeping people good for like a couple stuff, some or? people's economy <laughs> <laughs> yeah you get hollowed out eventually yeah. and then yeah. it's not sustainable yeah mm-hmm. but it's, it was so in one of the Fran Lebowitz interviews it's funny she's like you know like everyone she said you know when I bought I, I was at this apartment I was paying $150 a month and everyone was saying it was so crazy it was so expensive and she's like everybody in New York pays too much for the rent but somehow like you managed to do it and you just never look back on how much you paid for rent and you'll be fine <laughs> because everyone always like everyone always complains but everyone always somehow manages it and right it's, it's kind of this funny I mean, we have so much disposable income in North America, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. But I, I feel like um, it does limit your amount of choices because if you don't keep track of it, um, you can find it's it's railroaded you. It's, it's put down a track in front of you that's going to keep you doing the same behavior over yeah. and over again in a weird way. I'm so, I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous to like put down roots because of that. It's mm-hmm. like, what track am I picking? I've, I've so I've stayed in the in the town that I went to school in, which is like not something that people do a lot usually. They yeah. if they especially it's a you know an economically depressed <laughs> town, <laughs> usually you kind of go elsewhere to like find a job, settle down, or figure figure out a path. But I'm so nervous about like what what I'm setting out for myself. What am I nailing myself yeah. down to that I'm like terrified to choose something? What would be the scariest place to move to? Ever? Mm. Um. <laughs> That might help you decide. Syria. <laughs> oh well, yeah, a war zone. A war zone. I meant more. Um, I think I think New York is a really scary place. Focused. It's like yeah. somewhere that I really, I feel I, even London. Like I, I went to visit there because I was thinking uh, of going to school there, and I, I was so obsessed with it and that, mm-hmm. and I was just like, this is like you know, I left there being like, this is where I have to be. It's like the center of the world, and then I was like, what life would I be resigning myself to? You know, it's like such a class-driven economy that it's like I, I don't know. It's 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 really hard to yeah, hard to wrap my finger around. But that I it's like, but in some ways it's so scary because it's so enticing. Yeah, yeah, I I feel a, a similar way, um, and I'm completely biased because I grew up in this region, and so I don't know whether my feelings about it are. Um, just like you know most people live and die in in the same area that they were born Mm -hmm. Um, but I have had a lot of friends that have gone global and have lived abroad and they've come back to Toronto and said this is the best place really (laughs) 
just because um, I know a lot of people from diverse backgrounds, and they said the racism is oh yeah is uh, noticeably less in Toronto For compared sure. to the Americas or compared to you know other places that they lived, and um, it's just we're not the best at anything. <laughs> like they were just dissecting on uh, CBC what the 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 um, the original meaning of Toronto the good was the the motto. Okay. And they said that there is a lot of scholars that think it was derisive at the beginning where it's like we're not Toronto the great but we're pretty good at a lot of stuff. <laughs> it's Toronto the good. And that's kind of how I feel about it is there's a casualness that I dig. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a it's a pretty good base of operations. And then secondly, I would say in the context of He's rising oceans <laughs> rising oceans and climate change we're far, we're far enough in yeah. inland that i don't think we're going to be affected by that yeah, so that's a good come on chinese middle class <laughs> come here migrate I, one thing that i've been kind of happy to see or happy to like observe from afar is that all of the people that i was friends with i feel like have somehow ended up doing exactly what they were doing when i left yeah. Like in a good way. Like the people. In a, <laughs> not in a Toronto, the good way. <laughs> Tor- they didn't aspire to greatness. <laughs> but then they're like, they're kind of, you know, like a lot of the people that were, you know, like had just graduated from OCAD are all like practicing artists. Like mm-hmm. that's pretty amazing. That doesn't really happen in a lot of places. You know, I, I know those kinds of things make me like have hope. <laughs> yeah, that puts a kick in your step. Yeah. Um, yeah, I noticed the same thing. Uh, the only thing that I find, I guess, a, not disappointing, but there is a there is a kind of a vacuum effect that happens with web design, mm-hmm. where web design is is kind of a, a very stable income stream, and it it sucks a lot of artists from other disciplines into yeah. the into the thing, and um, I think it's it's shaky ground. Is it still is it still lucrative? Well, you know, post Squarespace, I don't know, yeah. but uh, like there I, is still boomers and stuff that will pay you <laughs> to do their Squarespace page, even though it's all dynamic and you can do it yourself. You need the taste level. Oh, to I found it. Squarespace awful to use. Yeah, I I went Weebly all the way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know why it's it says like simple drag and drop template, but it's really not. Weebly's even more simple. Oh, Weebly's or? so simple. Mm-hmm. It's so good. And I, f- I feel like there's, like, Weebly's, like, kind of hinting at, like, the, always hinting at ways that you can, like, sort of go around their templates. Like, they're they're offering you advice of, like, these are things you can use to change your templates, whereas, like, Squarespace, Squarespace is, like, too complicated. I don't know. Yeah. it's it, Squarespace is kind of one peg above Tumblr mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. It kind of has that same vibe. Yeah. Where, um... Yeah, it's it's just a skeleton of a of a website, but I do think that it, it seems to be run by good people. I haven't I haven't checked out uh, the Weebly stuff, but check it out. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I'll make the jump. Make the jump. I just dig. I always love supporting um, companies that. You remember when Google first came about? They kept on giving you prizes. They kept on giving you a cool new thing. It's like, wow, awesome email. Wow, video service. Wow, this. And it was all free. Mm -hmm. There's upstart companies that are still doing that. Yeah. Google seems to have gone to the dark side in that all they care about is putting ads on things now. It's still free, but yeah, they control it. (laughs) They Mm -hmm. control you. (laughs) Um, Are you doing web design now? Uh Uh-uh. Okay. 
No, I, I was just um, observing that like a lot of people that went I went to school with that ends up being a, a secondary income thing is setting up. Yeah. Websites. Yeah. I don't know if yeah, I don't know if people's main incomes tend to be like what I see of them. You know, I'm sure they're not all like full-time performance artists and whatnot mm -hmm. but it's exciting that there's enough of a scene in Toronto that I can keep continuously see people's name popping up like yeah and uh, yeah maybe it's not doesn't go farther than Toronto and New York but still I think that's a pretty big achievement yeah I think that the main question that we all have ahead of us now is is kind of reflecting on what exactly art is for oh now. god do you want to tackle this? Yeah. Well, uh, it's like a, it's a it's a really broad thing and yeah. it's going to take years and it's going to be different for everybody to figure out. But the Industrial Revolution kind of um, put us in a really narrow headspace about picking a job. Mm -hmm. And when you're growing up, you see people doing animation stills or you see people making clothes or you see people dancing or somebody playing music. Yeah. And you go, oh, that's a job, and it's creative, and I'd like to do that. I'm going to be an artist, in mm -hmm. quotation marks. And then um, the internet comes along, and it makes, it gives you access to oh, an ocean of culture, yeah. right? So if you're going to watch, uh, if you're going to watch um, improvisational comedy. You have every episode of Whose Line Is It Anyway that you can watch at any time. Yeah, you but you still have to like or choose watch, to watch it. I don't if know. You want to go? If you want to see an opera performance? Yeah. You can see the best pr yeah. production it's of true. Magic Flute or whatever it is. You know. Um, <laughs> Magic Flute. <laughs> so it it uh, it changes people's behavior, right? Yeah. You don't need that kind of local version as much. If you do choose that local version, it's going to be because you want that sense of community and you want to go out and see your neighbors and you want support. And to me, that opens up a lot of questions about, okay, well, if it's actually about connection, then what is the art for? You know, do we need to be able to play guitar in order to get that connection? Do we need to be able to um, shoot a movie in order to get that connection? I think so. I mm. Well, I just think like the medium... I guess okay so for a long time I was like really sure that I wanted to be in a band not because I was necessarily like felt you know called to play but because I saw the connection that people had when they like made music with one another you that was be on a stage totally or not I'm not a stage but there's just like a non-verbal connection that happens and I think the same thing with improv the same thing like when you can speak to one another through visual art it's mm -hmm. just like a different totally different language than it's a place words will never get yeah i agree it's it's kind of um new media stuff has become part of the vocabulary like you'll hear a lot of people criticizing um, grammar and stuff on facebook but i think what's actually going on is that um we're no longer fo focused just on spreading our thoughts through sentences mainstream people now express themselves through youtube videos and through um tumblr jpegs and gifs and stuff mm -hmm. it's all become part of a broader um, way of expression than just typing letters at one another yeah for sure and mm -hmm. i think like even 
I don't know. So people always like cr- criticize, you know, the end of grammar because of texting and stuff like that. But I think that like because we're seeing it visually and we're kind of sounding it out in our heads, like it's almost become another like visual form of expression. Whereas, so I've I've kind of stopped like criticizing people in my head for not typing out full sentences because sometimes they sound better or are more interesting when they're just like half nonsense. Like. Yeah funnier it's kind of funnier and like i don't know i feel like it's almost like more spontaneous or more true to the medium in Mm -hmm. a a way so yeah i think that there's like maybe yeah maybe things are changing but i i think that like the idea of of it being like a form of communication that's like more than just what you'll get in a novel or something is is definitely true or in a news article or something yeah and, you know, going back to the point I was um, making, it's like, I don't I don't so much mean that anything will uh, go extinct. Like, I don't believe that any kind of culture goes extinct. I think that there's still just as many operas being written now as ever before. I think mm-hmm. there's uh, just as many um, sonnets being written now as ever before. Um, it's all underground. Um, I'm kind of just talking about as if you're somebody who's interested in being an artist in this day and age, I'm interested in opening up a dialogue about how do we shrug off any um, expectations that it can become a factory or like be put through an industrial process and turned into a job. How do we just um, eliminate that as a factor and focus in on what the impact that you're trying to make is, you know, what's, what's the, the heart saying in it? Um, because there's a natural bias, right? Like I, when I'm hanging out with my friends in the art scene, they can't help but like mix business and the art now, mm-hmm. right? Where everything is kind of, um, part of the conversation is always like the amount of, um, hits it got on YouTube or the amount of like viralness something has and yeah. how, there's but do you like think these, you say you think that's like a shift? Like the isn't all that stuff just like ego though? I don't think that it's 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 something that's brand new. I think that it's a dialogue that's been going on a really long time. And I think the the roots like there didn't used to be um, rich artists, mm-hmm. right? It was you got rich in the old days. You got rich and then you became an artist, or yeah. you had rich family and then you became an artist or you resigned yourself to just being completely poor the rest of your life because all you cared about was uh, visual expression or mm-hmm. whatever it was. And then sometime in uh, at the turn of the century, people figured out that um, there was a market for selling painting and keeping, okay. treating yeah. it as equity and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, we started to figure out jobs for for everybody how to do like industrialized theater and industrialized um clothing manufacturing and Mm -hmm. industrialized music yeah and now we've made everything as cheap as possible and this new era is starting to come up and it's kind of revolving around leadership and connection and stuff and i'm kind of wondering how that's going to shift the focus of designers and stuff so you think that the so the the sort of like art art money making thing has like come and gone and now there's something new coming up? It's not that, that it's come and gone. 
It's that it's changing. Okay. It's it's becoming less that. Yeah. Because when you reach a point of efficiency where any kind of like design uh, thing that you've come up with that works, you can have it copied in China mm-hmm. tomorrow yeah. and mass produced and put in H&M mm-hmm. and there's no copyright protection that can help you with that. Um, yeah. It shifts the... Well, I see. Emphasis. I think like... It- in the little art criticism that I read, I think like people don't use the word authenticity, but I think that that's coming up more and more. Like people are just shitting on people copying and like really want people. I mean, maybe this was always the case, but I feel like I'm just hearing it yeah. more like, oh, why is this person stealing from this? Why is this person stealing from this? And it's just this kind of like search for people to just like do something different. And I think that's becoming a lot more valued. Yeah. Like recently. Do you think that's an unfair expectation, though, considering like, you know, Apple comes out with a touchscreen phone? Is is <laughs> Apple the only person who's allowed to make a touchscreen phone from them? Like the progress marches yeah. on and then everybody picks up the idea and then the whole world gets richer for it. I guess I'm know? just I'm just talking specifically about art. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe what Apple's doing is art. <laughs> well, it's everything, yeah. right? Yeah. It's everything. It, it, it all goes under the same umbrella, right? Like if you've got an idea that has cultural weight, there's going to be people who copy it and try to spread it to people who can't afford to, to buy in that, in that first wave. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm thinking that that is going to change the role of artists because they won't be able to get the kind of feedback that they want by um, doing the conventional or as much from the conventional habits yeah. as before. It used to be enough that you could read Robert McKee's screenplay writing book and follow the rules and make a pretty decent screenplay and you'd get a response from it. But once you have a hundred million people that are all doing the same thing, suddenly that becomes boring. It's yeah. It's like a, yeah, I, well, I guess the idea of taste comes into play like mm-hmm. a lot. I don't know, like that just reminded me of when. So, um, my boyfriend and I spent nine months in Israel, and Israel is kind of interesting because it's like you can speak to everybody there, but you're coming from like a really different. It's like almost like bizarro world because it's like a group of people that like feel very European and have like a large connect most of them speak English, they have like a large connection to European culture, but in a way they're also like super isolated because they're in the Middle East. They all kind of have these inside jokes that they grew up with. Like it's a hard society to like infiltrate. But the idea of taste came up a lot because it's like everybody there is so talented. They're all like total MacGyvers. They have like nobody, like the the word career isn't popular, but everybody's really good at like a bunch of different things. Like if you go to a party and somebody pulls out a guitar you expect them to be like the best guitarist you've ever (laughs) heard play but like so they're all really good at what they do but like to in my opinion very few of them have really good taste (laughs) Ah. because they haven't had as much exposure to the like one million screenplays that like I've seen play out on movies and like we really take pride in the fact that we have taste and irony and can like call something out for being cheesy but it's like uh, things there aren't ever really called out for being cheesy because it's all like kind of new and kind of okay yeah (laughs) i don't know and i mean it's kind of a (laughs) desert island effect right if you were on a desert island with a couple of people who could play guitar 
you'd be excited that there's a guitar that's that's, yeah. that's been pulled out and we're all going to have a, a jamboree or whatever. Mm-hmm. Your, your criticism kind of gets lowered. Yeah. So I guess like I'm just trying to say that like I think that this yeah this art uh, like discussion is like very urban and very Mm -hmm. like particular to our (laughs) but i think that that's okay because it's always the urban centers that you look to for where the rest of the world is going to be in 10 years right it always trickles down from the the city centers but maybe yeah maybe there's just going to be a new appreciation for for things because everything will have already been done i don't know (laughs) it might be that or it might i think that what also might happen too is that um things just shift to being more hyper local right yeah you you think about your friend's garage band that you listened to when you were in high school there's probably 80 people maybe that have heard that music but that doesn't change its impact on you for sure it brings back um, nostalgia and all of those things that a lot of people associate with like the smiths or something you know these corporate kinds of acts that happen to be popular on television when they were growing up but it doesn't need to be that way yeah right? and television a... also felt really personal at the time when we were mm-hmm. growing up in a way that it definitely does other not. people were watching Seinfeld <laughs> and the Simpsons yeah that's crazy and like yeah I, I agree with you for sure I think that it's like um wait what was I gonna say you keep talking for a second I had the um <laughs> It's like the personal artwork that um, people listened to versus the the commercialized stuff that um, they were experiencing at the time. I think there's there's so much nostalgia seems to play like such a heavy role Mm -hmm. in the appreciation of artwork and stuff when people get older, right? Yeah. And it's always weird to me that if you if you manage to shake it off it becomes so obnoxious on facebook where people are just posting stuff about remember remember biggie smalls (laughs) and remember dinosaurs we've sandwiched them together isn't this the greatest thing ever two things that you liked when you were 14 and here's here it is back again and you go oh god i uh i remember what i was gonna say so um, if we're talking about the idea of like things getting localized, I was thinking today about Toronto and I was like, I wonder if like, what's going to be, what are people going to look back and say, like, was the Toronto scene in 2015 mm. and like, who are the players? And then Good I was point. like, are people going to even think about a Toronto scene? Because I, I don't know. It just seems like the big, the idea of like the big city, like the epicenter or something that like a his people need to write a history about yeah just like it's it's not it's like not there mm-hmm. and so maybe all that matters is like the people that are around you and i'm especially true if if you you know the only way you can really ascertain if there is a cultural center is to just look at economics right and if okay. you just look at economics then justin bieber is is the greatest <laughs> canadian musician right because yeah. he makes the most money him drake you know whatever um, but the, the reality of it is like you could do an audit, you could do a census and walk around and you'll find plenty of young people in Toronto that have never heard a Drake record that have yeah, never right. heard a Justin <laughs> Bieber record. Yeah. Start to finish. Uh, You're a fan. Uh, Drake for sure. Okay. Well that I'm just saying that yeah. there are people <laughs> that exist yeah. that don't listen to it. Right. Yeah. You can't, I guess you can choose a lot not more now than you ever 
could before. You can you choose can... to only listen to yeah. video game themes all day long if you want. There's mm -hmm. enough now to, to, to satisfy that. Yeah. You can choose to just listen to TED Talks all day long now if you want. Mm -hmm. You can completely isolate yourself into a manic frenzy. Do you, have you, okay, so I've been kind of like getting freaked out about myself, like only listening to people talking. Like I've been listening to a lot less music now that there's all mm, these like podcast streams and I don't want to stop listening to them, but I'm also like, it's like, it's like a lazy mode for me where I like don't listen to as much music as I used to. I don't think that that's, that's strange. I think that you'll probably come back to the music um, but my dad described to me this shift that happened, right? Like I would always try to turn the radio on when I was a kid in the car mm -hmm. and he would just want to listen to 680 news or whatever. <laughs> and I would, oh, I so would say, didn't you used to be in a band? Like, don't you, aren't you interested in music? Well, he's like, there was something changed in his brain chemistry as he got older yeah. where he just started to find it obnoxious and <laughs> he wanted people to get to the point, yeah. you know? My, if you love something, just say it. <laughs> if you hate something, just say it. Don't wrap it up in this bouncy jingle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you need to say can be said in five words. <laughs> totally. Or, you know, write an essay about it. But yeah. just, just say what you mean. <laughs> my dad, I, this is like my favorite thing he's ever said. Um, besides the fact that when... It, I don't know, do you, like, you know when your parents just completely throw you off? Mm. These are maybe, this is the two things that my dad have said that completely, I was like, wow, I, like, do not know you as much <laughs> as I thought. Like, I thought I could predict everything that would come out of your mouth, but these two things really threw me off. So the first one, which is not as related to this conversation, is uh, when I... Let's get a little closer there. Sorry. Um, when uh, my uh, my partner of five years and I, like... He, we were both talking about grad school. He had gone into a grad school in Newfoundland. I was like, oh, I don't know what I want to do because, you know, it's like somebody that I'm really happy being with, but I also want to like follow my passions and my passion inevitably leads me to major cities like New York and yeah. London. And he was like, you know, I think the most important thing in life is to be with the person that makes you happy. <laughs> and like my mom just like got a heart attack on the spot. It was so funny. <laughs> So, so that was the first thing, my dad, the like hidden romantic, <laughs> the hidden romantic in him. And then the second thing was we were listening to the radio and he was like, wouldn't it be great if there was a station of just all covers? Yeah, like, that what, would be great. I was like, what do you mean? And he was, I was like, what do you mean? Don't you want to like hear new things? So my dad's like uh, obsessed with music. He like loves playing guitar. He has like a YouTube channel where he like dissects guitar solos and and I was like, what do you mean? Don't you want to hear new songs? He's like, Lee, at some point in life, you just don't need to hear anything new. You want to hear the things that you've heard before, but a little bit different. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, God. One of the, the best <laughs> things in Toronto is every year they um, put on a cover night at the Silver Dollar on Halloween where everybody dresses up like the bands and they do cover songs. Okay. And it's, it's spectacular. And you end up seeing bands that you know on their own merits Mm -hmm. are really good yeah and they do the best job they can at emulating the bands that they liked when they were younger and the thing are you about agreeing it, with my dad yeah <laughs> oh my god <laughs> um well in, in a certain regard right yeah. so say um you're going out and um the primary focus of the night 
is to have a good time with your friends. Yeah. It's yeah. not about discovering something new and doing like some sort of criticism or um, standing at the back of a club with your arms crossed and, and bobbing your head to the music and analyzing or um, but I never do that losing shows. it at a, in a mosh pit or any of that kind of yeah. ethereal emotional stuff. Okay. Or rather cerebral stuff is what I'm kind of describing. Um, when you go out and seek out a new band, um, for me at least, it's less likely that I'm going to be dancing. Mm-hmm. If it's music that's that's challenging, if, yeah. if you're not sure you like it at first because it's something really different, then it's hard to get into it. Versus if somebody is playing, um, you know, crummy 80s music or whatever in a garage somewhere that can be a really fun show because everybody knows the songs yeah and i think that that's the the superpower and the the vibe that like girl talk uh, tapped into because he's making music that's conducive to a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds to get together and have a party yeah it's something that people can agree upon but aren't you just sitting there trying to figure out what songs he's sampling yeah, I guess there's some of that going on. But you know, watch watch the videos instead of for the yeah. New Year's Eve parties, right? People are losing their their shit, and there's probably all sorts of people that are are just there. Um, their primary interest is like hip hop, or their primary interest yeah. is pop music. But they're all able to go to the same show together because it's both. I feel like the ultimate is karaoke for for this. That's pretty good too. Because you're. You see any dancing at karaoke though? Uh yeah. It's kind of swaying. It's a little swaying. <laughs> <laughs> I think my one of my favorite karaoke moments was when we all, I think it was like me, you, Sarah, and Todd went to karaoke and there was somebody bombing and <laughs> Sarah jumped up on the stage grabbed the mic. and grabbed the mic. <laughs> I think it was Paradise by the Dashboard yeah, Lights. Oh, yeah. Meatloaf. I'm <laughs> doing this song justice. That's that's what I want to see when I go out. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, those those human things, right? Yeah. And it's the same kind of thing that I think affects uh, that people feel when they watch a YouTube video and you see a surprising human thing happen on film. Mm-hmm. That's so different than the contrived kind of feeling that you get from most movie media, where you have. You're so aware that there's actors and they've got a script and they're yeah. going to act. This is how you drive a car yeah. intensely. And this is how you show that you're angry at your antagonist, you know? Yeah. It, it kind of um, it wears thin after a while when compared to real life, mm-hmm. especially when you start to realize that if you've got interesting enough friends you start to get those cinematic things happening in your actual life and you go, holy shit, all I had to do was have a two-hour conversation with some <laughs> somebody and I got all of the laughs, all of the tears, yeah. all of the drama that I would have got from a thing and I didn't need to pay any money and mm-hmm. uh, it's going to be something that's like in your memories and you can actually use as a real anecdote. Like even if you want to do it clinically and say like, where am I going to get the best anecdotes to use at work and stuff? Talk to your friends. They've had crazy yeah. adventures. Just steal their anecdotes. Yeah, steal their <laughs> anecdotes and say, I was talking to a friend, and you wouldn't believe how many people had circumcisions late in life. <laughs> I once had a friend try to skip out on an exam, or did skip out on an exam. The only way that he could get out of the exam was by 
claiming he was getting surgery or had broken a bone. Mm-hmm. So he got a circumcision. A fake circumcision? No, a real circumcision. A voluntary. A voluntary just to get out of an exam. at 17 years old to get out of an exam. Oh, that's rough. Did he have regrets? No, I don't think so. <laughs> you still have to do the exam. He was one Were of you the, by yourself a week? Uh, yeah, I think he was one of those people that was like all about the experience. So <laughs> <laughs> He didn't miss his foreskin? I don't know. Do people miss their foreskin? There was a Vice article I happened to be reading just before you got here, oh, and it was 50-50. There was a <laughs> lot of people that missed their foreskin. Do they have, like, ghost foreskins? Uh, there's there, Apparently, there's weights that you can attach to the skin of your penis to try to stretch it into a false foreskin, oh. but it doesn't work. Okay. Um, and then, so, the main the summary is that the people in, in the pro column... Um, the foreskin protects your the head of your penis, so it's more sensitive when you're having sex. Yeah. Allegedly. And it also acts as like a false lubricant so that you oh, can jack off easier. So it's like if I was like had my shirt off all the time, my nipples wouldn't be as sensitive. Yeah, as you'd get leather nipples are. from just being exposed <laughs> to the elements. Okay. You'd be like a, some sort of, you know, bull-like creature. It's gonna, but uh, aren't there lots of societies where people just like don't wear shirts? Yeah, I think they're more robust. I okay. think that you could uh, slap them or whatever, and they'd just be like, hmm, <laughs> I feel nothing. I feel nothing. I've got a, a thick callus across my entire body. Okay. Um, but yeah, the, the the main debate was going on, um, like, whether to outlaw it, because there's a lot of people that think it's it's a general mutilation, mm-hmm. but that we just don't even think about it, because it's, it's common. A juice friend of the world. <laughs> Passover spectacular. Oh, we didn't introduce it. Oh yeah, <laughs> I was actually I was thinking last night. I was like, should I be watching Ten Commandments? I re I, I realized <laughs> I realized before. Um, so I was like, knowing that I was gonna be seeing you and that we might be talking about Passover. I was like, okay, gotta pay attention during the Seder, what's, what it's what's about. going on and what is it about? <laughs> Not that I haven't been doing it every year, but then I realized. In the Seder, you don't actually talk about what happened during Exodus. That's uh, all in the Bible. Uh-huh. The Seder, you're talking about, like, you're trying to suss out the debates around the philosophical questions of it, hmm. but nobody actually questions what happened or talks about what happened. Uh. It's like, how would you talk to the wise man who asked you about Passover? How would you talk to the dumb man who asked you about that? Like, that's, the, that's what you talk about during the Seder. But I feel like that's kind of modern, right? Because there's been a lot of um, Israeli archaeologists that have kind of established that, like, the exodus didn't really happen. Yeah. But it doesn't matter because it's, it's well, not people, the point of the story yeah. or whatever. Um, According to... <laughs> um, so, my dad, my favorite person to talk about, um, he thinks that... Or he likes to bring up the fact... It doesn't matter how many religious people are around when he brings up this fact, but he likes to bring up the fact that if you actually read the story of Exodus and believe everything that it says, then God's a terrorist. Sure. As you know, like the gods are always an extension of us, right? So that would make sense. Like back in the day when we were barbarous and stuff, we mm-hmm. had a God that was barbarous mm-hmm. because it's, it's the lessons you're trying to pass on to the kids. You say yeah. like, you know what? This is the way the world works. Then why do we strong. keep telling the story? <laughs> Uh, tradition. Yeah. You know, it's more about... Shouldn't we have an ironic God? <laughs> now? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think we totally do. <laughs> okay. Like, if you were to 
I think that that would be a really good prompt for the people. Like you should totally challenge people to figure out what their God is. Mm -hmm. like if you had to meditate on it and you knew that you were going to be writing down the religious texts for the next generation because they were all going to be looking up to you as the high priestess. Mm -hmm. What would you say? Who's what, how, who's, who is the epitome, the Don't paragon wear, of how to live? Men should never wear shorts and girl <laughs> women should never wear yoga pants. So the high priestess is... Fran Leibovitz. Fran Leibovitz from that L article. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I don't know. I I once had a psychic um, challenge me to write my own Ten Commandments, and when I was doing it, I realized that all the commandments are in the negative, mm -hmm. which is kind Thou of Thou shalt not. Yeah. Not, not not. That's not very encouraging when you're trying to write your own. You're like, shouldn't I be trying to write what I should? Do, not just what I shouldn't do. What a proactive child. <laughs> yeah. Didn't uh, didn't the Leibowitz thing talk about that too? How the generation um, Y and uh, Z has been raised with proactivity where as the previous generations were all just taught to behave? Yeah, totally. We're, yeah, we, we're all a bunch of coddled brats whose parents <laughs> encouraged them to, uh, express, to express their feelings, their feelings for us before it was just like, don't do as little as possible to annoy us. And I don't care if you're go. sad, as long yeah. as you're quiet about it. Oh, yeah. Keep your hands to yourself. I've, re I've recently, I'm trying to figure out why, I, I've gotten like a real interest in like Southern literature. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's something that's happening around me more like, like a lot of people are reading like Flannery O'Connor and like Carson McCullers. And it's like, and it's something that I, I when I read it, I cannot relate to because it's like so different from my you know upbringing but it's almost like this parable that's like super black and white and mm -hmm. really extreme and dramatic like kind of like knight of the hunter style like uh, i'm unfamiliar are we talking about slavery times or are we talking no about like just... the 40s and the 30s and in the south and it's just like I'll, I'll, like everybody that's in these books is like a character and they're mm -hmm. really like black and white they're either a believer in god or like you know not a believer in god they're either like racist or righteous and you know and it's like why suddenly are all the people around me reading these you know stories? What, you what i'm starting to believe that is the way the world is <laughs> yeah, maybe. the problem is that we have we have like such a propensity for doing trivial conversations with people mm -hmm. where it's it's so rare to bring up questions about what people how people really feel yeah and how people really see um there's a lot of um autopilot kind of going on where people have conversations about their day and uh what they watched on tv what they had for what did they eat or was it a good day or was it a bad day so, uh, did you sleep well yeah how are your guts everything okay in there all <laughs> right i love talking about my guts <laughs> <laughs> how how what i ate made me feel yeah that's my favorite topic of conversation but the existential crises and stuff you know yeah. people shy away from it they're like, oh this is getting a little heavy um i'll see you later why don't you go call your mom talk about that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's true. Like maybe everyone is at a, at the base of it, a, a preacher or a racist, but just don't, won't talk about it <laughs> out loud. Preacher. Yeah. Well, I mean, there definitely is uh, controversial which things are, that we which all Which one think. are you, Jesse? A preacher or a racist? <laughs> I'm definitely not a racist, I don't think. Yeah. If I am, it's it's more on the positive side, right? Like I got a lot of white guilt. 
definitely mm-hmm. because of the way that the education system and stuff worked. You know, we were convinced when we came into high school that like men were sec- uh, sexist pigs yeah. and that we were responsible for like all of the repression of women and, and that stuff and that under no circumstances are you supposed to flirt with girls because that's <laughs> piggish, um, vulgar you behavior. really, yeah, that's that's amazing. It's, it was heavy handed, but <laughs> I mean, really... it it, uh, it definitely changed us. I mean, we're very, I think we're very sensitive. I've, I've met like a lot of guys my age that had a real problem with, with um, getting comfortable with um, hookups and then eventually like relationships and things, especially in an era now where, um, the whole um, sexual community has gotten way more adventurous. Mm-hmm. There can be um, there can be like a a, a tendency for if, if if you're brought up in that way where sexual aggression and and things that can be fun in like consensual situations they can feel uncomfortable to yeah. somebody who's brought up like that. If you want to be a gentleman or whatever, you feel weird about pulling hair and stuff like that, but. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to get over. And then, so what I was going to say is like, if I am a racist or a sexist, it's from the other side of it where, you know, I definitely give girls a pass sometimes because they're ladies, you Excuse know, and you me? just want to be, you want to be courteous, right? Even yeah. if like they're being rude to you or whatever. And if it was a guy, you would fight them or, yeah. you know, try to destroy their lives. But because they're a lady, you kind of go, I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to try to love you and try to open my heart up and, you know, bring this person back on side. Yeah. You know, that's nice of you. <laughs> you're making, you're, you are all your are all your lady friends softies now because you're so encouraging. No, I'm, I'm talking like very rare circumstances yeah. where you run into like a 55 year old battle axe and she's crazy and everybody is like that bitch is crazy don't work with her she, you know um she'll t- twist your words around and turn your project into a nightmare and yada 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 are you talking about a specific example yeah well yeah totally <laughs> um and you know the instinct is to kind of follow that advice because mm-hmm. that's what feels good right i'm gonna get revenge yeah fired that wouldn't that be awesome if she was fired and she cried and then you you say to her you know what i bet your family doesn't even visit you because (laughs) you're a miserable human being and nobody likes you and that's what you want to say someone that was like 80 years old she's like 55 okay that's what you want to say and then you start to get guilt because you go home and you start to resent that a person has put this poison in your blood Mm -hmm. you go like this is awful. I don't like feeling this way. I don't like hating somebody like this. Yeah. And so you figure out ways to turn it around, right? You go like, okay, we're going to go into this place and you're going to know this person's going to be stressed out and they're going to be looking to make everybody else stressed out so that they can feel like um, empathy or I don't know, misery loves company, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just like, a, yeah, like a sort of almost like a reflex when you don't know how to like, there's a swallow toxic your thing own emotions. That, there's a toxic thing that happens, a chain reaction where people who are fascists, <laughs> they like to make everybody else fascists around them. Yeah. The circle of, a never ending circle of mental anguish. <laughs> kind of, or you, you see it in like on a low level with, uh, with gangsters, right? They're all murderers and sociopaths, right? And they even express camaraderie 
yeah. by insulting one another. Right, we're getting too big on me Just now. Don't go busting my balls, Billy, okay? Hey, Tommy, if I was going to break your balls, I'd tell you to go home and get your shine box. Oh, I'm just breaking balls. <laughs> you know, the, the, they call each other fags and stuff like that. And yeah. Make fun of each other for being weak. And, and that's like the terms of endearment is, is making fun of and picking each other apart. So anyways, uh, in this, in this uh, past circumstance, I made like an effort where like every time the instinct was to attack, mm -hmm. I went the other way and I tried to open up. Because be, like, she was a woman? Uh, Is that where... Well, not... I thought that was where we were going with this. Come to think... Yeah, I guess. Come <laughs> to think of it. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah, okay. she, defi she definitely got... She definitely got more slack. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely made a, a larger em effort to empathize. Yeah. Because she was a lady. Did you empathize with her in the end? I think we came to an understanding. I think we got along. Oh, that's good. I think that uh, when she eventually left the company and, and went off to the West Coast, I think that she was you know, sad to see me go. It was as if the, all the baggage had been alleviated. Oh. And I thought to myself, Jesus, that really works. <laughs> Jesus Christ, <laughs> you're listening. You know, this is Passover spectacular. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I think that like, that's, that's the whole point of that whole, all that new Testament stuff, right? Is you eventually reach a philosophical endpoint where like eye for an eye doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. And you've got like four generations that have been fighting over, you know, the same land or like the same slight that happened between houses. Yeah. And eventually there has to be somebody that says like, you know what? I'm going to take this one for the team. But that's not the story of Exodus. Oh no, it isn't. The story of Exodus is we're the chosen ones <laughs> that have been slighted and we're going to make our way out of this mm -hmm. by slighting everyone else. This is true, but I, I, I did a uh, blasphemy. I said Jesus Christ at the end of my story, so I was like, you know, natural segue yeah. into the contrast between okay. the two. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you, like, in terms of, like, religion as a... Uh, a way to learn how to deal with other people when you really don't want to <laughs> or mm -hmm. like like what to do when your instincts are wrong <laughs> yeah like reflexes to turn to yeah and i mean uh it, the the only thing that kind of stops it from being super current and super um easy to spread the word um to a modern audience is just calling it religion i mean like yeah the, we we take um, moral lessons from everything that we we listen and read, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's advice from friends or books that we read or literature or novels or songs, yeah, it's all um, fodder for cherry picking different lessons and stuff about how to live that you can try on like a coat and you see how it works, and then the ones that you like you keep, and the ones that you don't you put in the box and <laughs> the top of the <laughs> or you just forget them, yeah, or burn it in the yard. <laughs> But I, yeah, it's like, it's, I, I wish that the Bible wasn't so full of all the boring stuff in between that it was mm. like just the stories. Cause I feel like the fact that you have to get through all the naming and I don't know, I think that's what makes it so confusing and unappealing to people who are used to like getting the point of things very quickly fed to them. Yeah, and it's so surprising that they haven't updated it. 
Yeah. Like, why not just rewrite all of the stories and, yeah. and sit them in the 21st century? Not even sit them the... in the 21st century. Just have the stories one next to the other. <laughs> like, where's that Bible? <laughs> That's true, too. Yeah. Maybe part of the trudging through is the part of the spiritual journey of getting through it. But Yeah. Well, I mean, they, um, they rewrote a version of the Bible um, in the style of Cormac McCarthy. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, recently where they took out, I think it was commas and they replaced it with like, and then's cause like Kurt McCarthy uses a lot of yeah. ands and then's. And, Somebody um, recently told me to read his book. I thought he was like, I didn't realize that he'd been writing for so long. I remember like the road came out and that was a big deal, but that was his like 20th book probably. Oh sure. Yeah. Blood Meridian is the masterpiece. Okay. I'll get on that. Holy shit, man. That's that's summer reading. Summer beach reading. Suppose two men at cards with nothing to wager save their lives. Who has not heard such a tale? A turn of the card. The whole universe for such a player has labored clanking to this moment, which will tell if he is to die at that man's hand or that man at his. What more certain validation of a man's worth could there be? This enhancement of the game to its ultimate state admits no argument concerning the notion of fate. The selection of one man over another is a preference absolute and irrevocable. And it is a dull man indeed who could reckon so profound a decision without agency or significance either one. In such games as have for their stake the annihilation of the defeated, the decisions are quite clear. This man holding this particular arrangement of cards in his hand, is thereby removed from existence. This is the nature of war, whose stake is at once the game and the authority and the justification. Seen so, war is the truest form of divination. It is the testing of one's will and the will of another within that larger will, which because it binds them is therefore forced to select. War is the ultimate game, because war is at last a forcing of the unity of existence. War is God. Yeah, so you should read some some Flannery O'Connor. <laughs> All right, what 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 can I expect from it? Similar Southern. Is it about scalp world? hunters? <laughs> Not about scalp hunters. About soul hunters. <laughs> okay. But yeah, very very dramatic. Very. Mm-hmm bleak very good yeah. is it does it who are the main characters does it involve like i said like you know a preacher and a racist and a, <laughs> a wanderer is usually like oh. a wanderer that's like trying to find his way and okay so it's one of those novels that kind of has scenarios where characters can talk about like the meaning of life oh yeah all the time. everyone's always I, everyone's like i i'm really really recently reading um this book the heart is a lonely hunter by uh, carson mccullers and she the characters are really like there's like the the black man who's uh, a commune like who thinks that like Karl marx is going to save the world and mm. he's like constantly preaching to everyone the value of of Karl of marxism and then there's like you know he's always disappointed in the um the like negroes around him who just are just dealing with their daily life and then there's like the silent deaf the the deaf mute that just is like all knowing and not of this earth and then there's the madman and it's like all these people like converging archetypes, archetypes converging in this town and there's like it's 
so good. Oh, that's rad. It's really rad. Yeah, that's up my alley. That is that is very similar to McCarthy in that um, he loves those those stand-in characters, um, and he interprets a lot of the stuff in the Bible, um, the the kind of the same way that you know you can in the in the road. There's a section where they get visited by an angel, mm-hmm. and his definition of an angel is is like a blind old man kind of wandering on the side of the road that's just surviving on the charity of of people that think he's so pathetic that they can't attack him (laughs) and he's too skinny to eat anyway so why would you cannibalize him um or in the blood meridian there's a there's a weird moral play where the protagonist uh kid character is deemed to be mankind's um only hope in that he is a relatively vulgar and simple person okay so he's he's put up against the heroic evil of of this judge character who is supremely literate and knows machines and is very industrial and clever and can do things like plan wars and stuff mm-hmm. and it's kind of it's hearkening back to that that biblical theme of how the meek shall inherit the earth. Yeah, it's it's trying to play with the idea of hubris in that like it's the most clever of men who will end up destroying civilization. Yeah, for sure. Whereas, well, that's it's same thing with this Carson McCullers book. Yeah. All the smartest people are like closest to each other in their madness. Like they're all like on the verge of either like dying or just like mm-hmm. becoming crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Whereas like you know the like deaf blind man who is his best friend is like a gluttonous greek who he like can't get enough of like he just loves him so much it's like that's the man who's who's like who's gonna save the world (laughs) yeah i mean it's a really profound um split right because i don't know which side that i would be on um on the one hand you know you could say like okay but what are we here for Mm -hmm. right we already had everything that we needed when we were in the jungle and we could just like eat fruit and have sex and hunt animals and dance around fires and stuff you could survive a canadian winter (laughs) no 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 no. but (laughs) canadian winter was not even an aspect of what we were talking about right like stay in the jungle don't become yeah why did we leave the jungle I think that there's a drive in people where we want to we want to test our limits. Mm-hmm. And in the modern era, the big question is like, what are we here for? Right? Is it just to listen to MP3s and and buy clothes and try to um, find an industrial job so that we can buy more industrialized stuff, and then eventually you get tired and you retire and then you die? I just want things or to become it... as convenient as possible. No, you don't. I have to literally not move. <laughs> I, I don't believe that for a kidding. second. I don't believe that for a second. I think that it only has value because you had to work for it. Yeah. And that you'd go crazy if everything just came easy. I know that the, the, those like happiness index things are so funny because it's like what makes you happy is like accomplishing something that you couldn't do before. <laughs> not just like having everything you want by your side. Mm-hmm. And it's seductive because, you know, you always have that, that ghost floating above your head, what your goal is, and you want it so bad, and you just yeah. wish there was an easy route. But I think that we all got to remind ourselves that it's the wanting is the fun part, yeah. really. Like, once you get the thing, then you're like, okay, what's next? Luckily, there's only, like, 
0.01% of the population that has everything they want and we're slowly moving further and further away from it. So. But even they don't have what they want. Like a rich guy always compares himself to a king and the king compares himself to a god and all the way up the chain, right? They're what does never a god happy. What compare himself to? Um, probably loops back and they wish that they could be the meat guy again, <laughs> yeah. right? Or they say, I wish I didn't have any responsibilities. Mm -hmm. I could just be a fun person who shows up at parties and I don't have all this weight hanging on my shoulders. What what part of the chain do you want to be at? Well, I, the, I'm kind of, I feel like the thing that I like the most about being a human is just um, wandering around and exploring things. And the, the most, um, the most fun parts are when you can really focus in on like another person mm -hmm. and try to connect your brains together. You know what I mean? Like when you you sit down and have like a really in-depth conversation with somebody and you feel like you are peeling back the layers, mm -hmm. that has like a level of exhilaration that very few things can compete with. And I think that artists, they're lucky enough to, to be in touch with that kind of vibe. And then they the thing that's kind of happened in like the industrial era is they try to sell that experience to somebody yeah. else in the form of a of a story or the form of like a, a product or a, a thing an i object. feel like the artists that are like at least the ones that i see that are like the most revered are the ones that seem to have almost like that you want to become connected to because they seem so different from like your Mm -hmm. daily experience they're too they're so weird that they're you... so weird or like they're like they're so in tune with the world maybe not you but like there's something about them that like you just can't put your finger on or like mm -hmm. you'll might never be able to put your finger on yeah i like both i run into um friends that i'm really curious about diving deep and 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 feeling finding out like what's going on in the subconscious mm -hmm. you know um when they really analyze how they feel about a topic and and finding out what their opinions are on stuff especially since like when you sit down with a microphone and you i feel like there's a there's a headspace that people go into where they're a little bit more careful and they're yeah. a little bit more it's easier to get in that flow state where your subconscious feelings and stuff are just pouring out of your mouth and you're not overanalyzing it. Mm -hmm. And that can be surprising. And then there's another type of person where you'll just go on YouTube or whatever and you'll just be shocked by someone's vocabulary or the fact that they're dropping these references left and right that you've never even heard of. And there's like a crowd of people that are responding to it. You yeah. know, an inside joke that's so inside that only you know, middle-aged um, Israelis um, from a, a Russian background in um, fucking... You don't know this, but I've been dropping those messages this whole time. <laughs> Israelis will listen to this and just die. They'll <laughs> be so happy. That Lee. She's on another level. <laughs> um, but yeah. Or can we be done? <laughs> I feel a little tired <laughs> from that Awkward. finding that from finding that mid state of being. Okay, but you need a prompt. 
What's my prompt? Maybe it's a mini sode because you showed up so goddamn late, but I'm you need sorry. a prompt. So I'm starting this thing. Um, it's the opposite of advertising. Okay. So you need to figure out some sort of um, goal or activity that you think that people should try out that will um, lead to a different headspace and might lead to some surprising results. Oh my gosh. Um. So is there something that you did in your travels that you wouldn't normally think to do that ended up being kind of a surreal experience or something that made you learn something about yourself? Hmm. I, I think uh, one of the things that I did a lot by the end was just like putting my faith in what other people were doing and kind of going along with yeah. it, which is something that I feel like it's like hard to do. Like when we, we went to this, um, uh, like, like not thinking so much about how I think other people are feeling, but just like letting them do their thing and kind of going along with like whatever they're doing. So like we, we went to this, uh, we heard about this um, place in Jordan called Wadi Rum, which is this like crazy desert with these giant like sand dunes. And it's um, just like a really beautiful, beautiful spot. And the only way to see it really is to like hire a Bedouin <laughs> to like take you around. And we got there and it turned, and it seems like at first, like, oh, this is like, feels really colonial or something. Yeah. I'm like paying this person to like be my guide. But they were like 23 and they just hung out with us. Like I, it seemed like they were having about as much fun as we were taking these like, like young white idiots around. I'm sure they were laughing at us like yeah. the whole time, but it was just like kind of like putting, putting ourselves in their hands and not thinking so much about like what it meant in like the grand scheme of things. That was really good. Cause I think like a lot of our hangups, like we were talking about earlier in the episode is like, are just parts of our upbringing and they don't really exist in other places Yeah, in the world. Like, you know, like I uh, like the, the kind of racism that exists in North America doesn't exist as much in Africa because uh, like the majority of the population is black. So if you're like constantly thinking about like how, you know, like uh, you're impacting other people, I think you're like losing a lot of the experience. Yeah. Yeah. So you would recommend people put themselves in a situation where they are out of control. Somebody else is running the itinerary and you kind of, yeah, I guess that's like, that's one way to look at it for sure. Yeah. I had um, a similar kind of experience too, where, it's probably at least once a summer I'll um, I'll set out with no preconceived itinerary. Mm -hmm. um, it's generally happened by accident in the past where I've had plans with somebody to go to a concert, for instance, yeah. and people bail. And yeah. you go like, you have a, a crossroads ahead of you where you could go like, you could bail too mm -hmm. and just go home and watch Netflix. Or you could go by yourself yeah. and make... A conscious effort to do that scary high school thing where if it's like first day of school and you're gonna make some friends you're gonna go to this place that you don't know anybody and you're gonna see where you go yeah and every single time that i've done that i've always had an adventure mm -hmm. where you know you end up falling in with this other group of people and by the end of the day they've forgotten that they just picked you up from a concert and that you were this lone wolf that like ended yeah. up on their picnic blanket smoking their marijuana and stuff and uh, always ends up with marijuana <laughs>
Yeah. Um, and then uh, I had another preconceived uh, prompt that I had worked out. And this came from a mushroom trip that I had about 10 oh, yeah, years ago. Oh, yeah, do mushrooms. That's another thing everyone should do. <laughs> That's not a prompt. That's totally a prompt. I hadn't done mushrooms in so long, and I didn't realize that they they make you happier than anything else in the world. Oh, yeah. Man. Serotonin. <laughs> it's so great. And laughing. Laughing and just, like, being present and not thinking about anything that happened a minute before or will happen a minute later. It's the best feeling in the world. It's definitely a summertime thing. Yeah. And um, it's definitely something that benefits when you are surrounded by people that you're totally enamored with. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't recommend doing mushrooms by yourself on lonely winters. Oh, you've done this? <laughs> yeah, I've made that mistake before. Oh, no. I made that mistake before. When I found, like, I was... I had taken an old knapsack um, from my parents' house that used to belong to my older brother, and I found like a sack of old mushrooms. In oh, the, you did it in Hamilton. In the bag, and uh, <laughs> I was bored one one lonely winter's night, and I decided to eat mushrooms by myself, and I had just the worst trip. Oh no! Where um, I just became like so self-aware of what the hallucinations were made of. <laughs> To the point where it became obnoxious. I just kept on seeing things at the corner of my eye and go like, you're not really moving. You're just a combination of the shadow from that plant and, you know, the fucking lighting in this room. You were mad at your own hallucinations. Yeah, and I'm like, just turn off, turn off. I want to go to bed. Oh, no. And the fucking, you get geometry spinning around in oh, your yeah. subconscious. and Yeah, you can't just, fall asleep. It's you can't crazy. fall asleep. You can't fight it. You got to stay up and, and find, seek out other people that you can talk to. Mm -hmm. um so my prompt is uh i think that um you should go and find somebody who's got an old ipod okay. go seek out a friend who has an old ipod that they haven't used in years and ask to borrow it and uh go out one summer's day and wander around your neighborhood and turn that ipod or ipod nano or whatever it is on shuffle and listen to your friend's music that they had put together it works better if you can get like an ipod shuffle or an ipod nano something that only has like five or six albums on it okay so there had to be a bit of curation that went on oh but the fun thing about shuffle is that you it's a bunch of stuff that you never listen to <laughs> i guess that's the point well that, the, the yeah. point is that like <laughs> i think that the point of the prompt is that you're trying to get into the headspace of somebody else wait should yeah. you be shuffling their podcasts now that no one listens to music anymore? You could do that. But the <laughs> thing that, that I found worked about this is like um, I had a really great mushroom trip like 10 years ago where um, back when, what were those mini disc players, you know, that oh. we used to get MP3s on? Yeah. Um, my ex-girlfriend uh, had a mini disc player and I had eaten a whole bunch of mushrooms against the wishes of my former roommate, Ilya Schwartz because um, he was worried that like the two of us were at home by ourselves and yeah. he didn't want me to turn into like a Jack Torrance axe murderer <laughs> and chase him around the house. Here's Johnny! And he was incredibly disappointed when instead of chasing him around the house with an axe, I ended up sitting in a rose bush in the backyard and watching bees completely oh, no. transfixed for like three and a half hours. And I had this mini disc player that I had no idea what was on it and belonged to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And you get this amazing kind of um, meditation going on, um, the kind of feeling that you used to get from AM radio or whatever back in the day, but yeah. more so because it's, um, 
the audio is clear and it's coming from a point of view. It's not just top 40, you know yeah. what I mean? It's not this mixed bag. It's, 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 um, something that was picked by somebody mm-hmm. and I think that it was a really cool it was a really interesting psychedelic experience and so something should you be on mushrooms while you're doing this or do you just do it yeah it would probably help I mean music always sounds really w- way better I never l- haven't listened to music on mushrooms yeah it's good okay especially I mean you got to keep it positive <laughs> if you want to if you want to understand if you want to feel Beatles records at like a whole different level of intensity then that that's great i can't they even imagine listening to like four instruments at once while high on shrooms like i feel like that would be overload my brain at least it's only four <laughs> tracks though right you can hear the the divide like this is two instruments in each ear mm-hmm. and it's very light <laughs> they're all love songs yeah um they're keeping keeping it sunny yeah what if you find the dark side of the beatles that one good luck Deckel. that one dissonant note <laughs> no one was supposed to hear yeah imagine the prompt goes completely wrong yeah. somebody borrows the wrong mp3 player and they're, they're on the mushrooms insane clown posse on mushrooms <laughs> they're a good group of guys yeah they're leading uh, the juggalos Very community oriented mm-hmm. <laughs> they're totally cut out for post-industrial music landscape uh-huh I mean, we should follow their lead. Fuck! Do they have a book? I don't think so. They should write a novel on on how to put together a festival and a couple documentaries and for stuff sure. Like that. <laughs> mhm. Okay, that's it. Mini sewed. Water, fire, air, and dirt. Fucking magnets. How do they work? And I don't want to talk to a scientist. Y'all motherfuckers lying and getting me pissed. Solar eclipse and vicious weather. Fifteen thousand juggalos together.